Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Christian Fellowship. We are a family on a journey to become more like Christ, sharing His kingdom by expressing His love. We hope that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. I want to share a message with you this morning that I'm hoping will will resonate with your heart as it has resonated with my heart. Over the past, if I, if I look back over the past few weeks, God's really been speaking to us about the fight of faith, the journey of faith. He's really been speaking to us about a fresh realization of everything that He has put within us, within our hearts, in the fullness of His Son, Jesus. And I'm carrying on with a similar theme this morning, but I, the title of my message today is... From cliche to character. From cliche to character. Now, what is a cliche? A cliche is a saying or an idea that has become overused to the point where it's lost its original meaning or its original effect, even to the point of being trite or irritating, especially when at some earlier time it was considered meaningful or novel. So that's a pretty elaborate definition of what a cliche is, but it's something that you've just heard so many times that it kind of, it's lost its emphasis, it's lost its power, it's lost its oomph. Uh, it's just something that rolls off the tongue now. It doesn't mean very much. I mean, here's some, some Christian cliches that we use. Oh, my brother found Jesus. I didn't know he was missing, but congratulations. Or, or you say to somebody, how are you doing? I'm too blessed to be stressed. Really? That's wonderful for you. Um, or you're going through a hard time and someone just puts their arm around you and says, oh, just let go and let God. And it's in those moments of, of deep encouragement where I'm sure you can relate to this, this overwhelming feeling rises up within you of, of this deep wanting to just punch them in the face. You know what I mean? When they just people just say things and it just kind of rolls off and... You know, uh, really, just let go, uh, you, really, Is that, you mean that? How do you do that? How, have you ever done that? What's that going to look like for me? But what about some verses that we see in the Bible that we've actually become so familiar with that they also just seem like cliches? How about 1 Peter 5 verse 7, which says, just give all your worries and cares to God, for He cares about you. I'm going through such a rough time. Oh, brother, just give that to God. He cares for you. Philippians, what about Philippians 4, verse 12 and 13? I, or 12, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Romans 8, 28. All things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purposes. Are these verses true? Well, of course, they're Bible. I mean, that's what Paul is saying. It's what the Lord is saying through these people. But yet sometimes I think we've heard them so many times that we have the same response to them that we have to some other cliches that just seem to come at us on a day-to-day -day basis. Because we, have, we are so locked in our situation, we're so stuck in our way of thinking, we're so focused on the, the, the problem or the circumstances that are so overwhelming that something like that actually doesn't shine light into the problem, but somehow it seems to highlight the problem. It seems unattainable. It seems out there. It seems impossible. Now, these words are true. These scriptures, for example, are true. And each of them are there 
in order to call us into a promise from God. You see, they're a test. And they're for us to gauge and to see our true level of faith and our true level of trust in the Lord. You see, if those scriptures just come across as cliches to us, it tells us something. It tells us that we don't really believe them, even though we say we do. It tells us that our hearts haven't connected with them. They're just some words still out there that have very little power. We've heard them before. We've heard them a whole lot of times. We've heard them from how many pulpits and how many encouraging messages. But in terms of substance, in terms of the ability for those words or those promises to change us from the inside, it's as though they've lost their power. You know, think of Joseph, who had these wonderful dreams that God gave him as a young man. Wonderful dreams about his brothers bowing down to him. I mean, this guy already had a favoritism complex, ego issues. And in his great wisdom, he went and shared the story with his brothers. And you know what happened? His brothers got really fed up with him. They wanted to kill him. Thankfully, they didn't. They ended up selling him into slavery. And he goes into slavery, but he was such a good slave that he saw promotion. And so maybe, maybe at that time, if you can imagine just trying to put yourself in Joseph's shoes or sandals, being in a situation where you've got this promise that you know is from God and you are, you've been sold by your brothers and having to deal with that rejection. You are now in slavery, but now this is, things are actually going really well for you. And you're thinking, well, maybe God's promises are coming to pass until Potiphar's wife gets in, her, her claws into you and uh, the jacket sticks, you don't, but you end up in the dungeons once again. Now what's going on? Now what's going on, God? What about those dreams? I'm sitting in the dungeons. And as time goes on, you know, again, God gives him favor in the dungeons. He's basically running the prison for the prison guard. The prison guard is reading his tablets, the daily tablet of news that's, you know, got his feet up while, while Joseph's doing all the work. And Joseph interprets some dreams, and he says to the king's cupbearer, remember me when you go back to the king. And two years go by, and nothing. Until eventually one day the king or the Pharaoh needs something interpreted, he needs a dream interpreted. Oh, suddenly Joseph is remembered, he's called up, he interprets the dream, and we know what happens. Joseph is placed over this incredible task of managing and stewarding this, the next seven years of plenty of harvest so that he can also... I mean, things just got so crazy in, in Egypt at that time that they actually stopped keeping count of how much stuff was coming in because the harvests were just so big, they couldn't keep track of it anymore. And, and we see eventually, we know the story, Joseph's brothers comes, all those promises came true. But the point is this, from the time those promises were given to the time there was a realization of those things, was 17 years. Think about that, 17 years. That's a lifetime for some of us. <laughs> Not so much me anymore, but anyway. Psalm 105, 19 says something very interesting about this period in Joseph's life. It says, Until the time that his word came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. In other words, the promises must have seemed like cliches to, to Joseph at some time. It must have seemed, God, with everything I'm seeing, no ways. It's too good to be true. That was just some dream. Must have caused him to doubt. Must have caused him to question. And the word of God actually says that. It says, this word tested him. 
Would he still believe that this was from God? Would he still believe that this was true while he's sitting in a dungeon, while he's sitting as a slave? What does testing do? It says the word of God, the promise that God gave him, tested him. And what is the purpose of testing? Testing reveals areas of weakness. It reveals our deficiencies. Testing reveals our vulnerabilities. That's why we put kids through tests. So if you're studying anything, you will do a test to see what are your areas of strength and where are you still weak? Where do you still need to do work? Because these areas of weakness and deficiency, they limit the effectiveness and efficiency of the claimed outcomes. So in other words, here's the thing. By the time, I know, for example, Mark and Nicola are, are auditors. They had to pass something called, they had to do something called their articles, which is an incredibly difficult set of exams, set of tests, that once they have achieved that, they have a certificate to say that they are proficient at, a, at, a, at a, an incredibly high level concerning financial management and financial accounting. You do not want your doctor to have passed his degree with 33 and a third percent, do you? Your heart surgeon. Ah, there's a third of a chance we'll get this right. We'll keep your fingers crossed for you while you're out. You know? You want a certain level of proficiency. These things test us to see where, where we are weak. And all of these things have to do with expectations. Say expectations. When Joseph was a young man, what do you think his expectations were? He was his dad's favorite kid. His expectation was he'd be in the fields with his shepherd. He'd take over dad's business. His, his expectations were governed by his circumstances. What do you think somebody that's born over the road there in Lunga, what do you think their expectations are for their life? Dad's nowhere to be seen. Mom's a domestic worker. I'm hoping to make it through high school, but I don't know. No one else I know does. No one else I know cares about this kind of thing. What do you think their expectation for life is? And what is your expectation for life? What did you expect your life would be? And what even now, no matter what stage of life you are at, what are your expectations for what lies ahead? All our expectations are shaped by our culture. They are shaped by our experience. They're shaped by our upbringing. But you see, in this man, Joshua's life, God shifted the expectation. God's word entered in to paint a picture and to create a new reality. The word of, what, the word of God did for Joseph, the same thing it does for you and I today. It presents you and I with an expectation that is outside of the way that we think. It's outside of what we may consider to be ordinary or natural probability. Given the relationship with his brothers, it was highly outside the areas of probability that his brothers would ever be bowing down to serve him. Unthinkable, impossible, no ways, right? But you see, folks, this is why the promises of God and the Word of God requires faith to bring it into reality. Because it creates an expectation for you and for me that is outside of normal probability. In fact, it's impossible. It's in this arena where you and I 
are tested, where our faith is tested, where those things that we, this expectation that is created for you and I through, through this holy book that Jesus has come to give to us, whether we see whether or not these things that we've learned and highlighted, if you highlight it, that means it's, that me, you know, and Siobhan always teases me because my Bible is colorful, his is very bland. And he says, you know, just because you've highlighted doesn't mean, just because you've read it doesn't mean it's working for you. And he's right. Just because I've got highlights and underlines on that verse doesn't mean it's working for me. There's a difference between having this be a cliche, just being something that's out there, some promises, and kind of hoping for the best in the midst of it, versus actually allowing this to be our rock and our all in all, and allowing this to determine our every expectation with full assurance in the one who gave the promise. And this journey of wrestling between my expectations of a natural probability versus my expectations of the impossible, but yet that which is promised by God, that wrestle is a lifelong wrestle. It's called the fight of faith. And every one of us need to engage with it. I want to take you through now the journey of Abram and Sarai. Not even Abraham and Sarah. We're starting right at the beginning. Why? Because they're the father and the mother of our faith. And I want to show to you just how like them you and I actually are. Because somehow we seem to elevate these guys to have incredible faith without challenges. But yet when we actually follow the narrative, two things come through very clearly. Number one, testing. Know that your faith will be tested. Know that the moment you desire to set your heart on the Word of God to see it come to fruition in your life, that Word is going to be tested. Whether or not this is just a cliche for you, some words on a page that you kind of hopefully might, something might happen, or whether there is deep trust. And the second thing is that this is a fight and a battle. So here's where I'm going to start. Abraham is 75 years old. He's a madala. He's an old man. He's 75, folks. Genesis 12, and I'm going to read some verses very quickly for you. They're going to be up there. Uh, I encourage you to follow along with me, but I'm going to, for the sake of time, I'm going to rumble these off quite quickly. They're important to get context. But here we see Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, from verse 1, at the age of 75, having a meeting with God. And God says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family and from your father's house, and to a land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. Let's pause. This is the first kind of time where we see this, this direct conversation between Abram and God. And God says, I want you to come out. And he gives him a promise. What's the promise? I will make you a great nation. Not just a nation. A great nation. In other words, a big nation. A powerful nation. A multitudinous nation. Lots. Big. And he goes on to say, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, curse those who curse you, and in, in you all the families of all over the earth shall be blessed. And God gives him the promise. And much like Joseph, that's it. That's it. That's all Abraham has. See, Abraham doesn't have Jesus or Holy Spirit living in his heart. He has one encounter with God, and God says, I'm going to do this for you. I want you to come out, and I'm going to make you a great nation. And so Abraham does. He takes a step of faith. He chooses to believe God, and the next 10 years, Abram passes through the land of Canaan, 
goes into Egypt and he separates from, from Lot. Over that period, he wins five battles with different kings. He meets Melchizedek, this high priest. And so we have this one encounter and then no more encounters for 10 years. And for 10 years, Abraham is walking. Reminds me of, of finding Nemo with Dory. Just keep swimming, just, just keep walking, just keep walking into Egypt. When is this going to happen? How is this going to happen? And so we see 10 years goes past and nothing really happens. But then in Genesis 15, there's this another, another encounter. From verse 1, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abram said, Lord, what will you give me, seeing as I go childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus, in other words, a servant. And he said, Abram, and then Abram said, Look, you've given me no offspring. Indeed, the one born in my house is my heir. It's almost as if Abram is saying, yeah, listen, the last time we spoke was 10 years ago. And 10 years ago, you told me to get out and you're going to make me a great nation. I have done what you have said. I got out of my country. But I don't have an heir. Where's this great nation you were talking about coming from? Do you think Abraham's being real with God? I think he is. He's having another encounter with God and he's saying, hang on a second here. Hold on. This is what you said. I did what you said. You haven't done your part of the deal here. Verse 4. Behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. I, hello, 85, folks. Then he brought him outside and said, Now, look towards heaven. Count the stars. See if you're able to number them. And he said to them, So shall your descendants be. So he took it to a whole nother level. He gave Abraham something to look at. He gave Abraham vision. Say vision. He gave Abraham greater clarity of the same expectation. That's why it's a wonderful thing to study and to learn the Word of God. Because God gives a similar promise in different ways, in different places, to different people, and it becomes clearer and more crystallized every time we get it from a different facet. He says to him, look at that. That's how your descendants are going to be. And so he shares this with his wife at 85 years old. And Sarai, being an industrious woman, she comes up with a plan and thinks, all right, so how then are we going to do this? Because this is outside of natural probability. So let's apply some natural means here. And she says in Genesis 16... She had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. Sarai said to Abram, now see, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. So look, all these years, Abram, I haven't borne you anything. So it's not just the fact that you're now old, you're 85 years old. I also haven't had been able to bear you any children all these years. So this is clearly way beyond the realms of possibility. Take my maidservant, her name is Hagar. See, now the Lord has restrained... Oh, by the way, also, please take note of where she points the finger here. The Lord has restrained me from having children. Isn't that what we do? Inadvertently, sometimes deliberately, in our complaining. God, why haven't you? God, why did you allow this? God, why did you cause this? In the midst of our wrestling. 
He says, please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. Then Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife after Abram dealt 10 years in the land of Canaan. And we know what happened. That was when, when he was 85. When Abram was 86, the next year, Ishmael was born to Hagar. And then we kind of get this idea that we know the story that, that Ishmael is, is kind of rejected as the, as the one. But do you realize that God had another encounter with Abram at 85? So that's 10 years after the original one. He didn't have another encounter with him until 13 years later. Until Ishmael was 13 years old. And so here's Abraham again. Okay, God, you've given me this promise. The way this is going to work is clearly going to be through my servant. And 10 years later, God says, no, that's not going to be the way. And then he gives him another promise. And then with Abraham's help, he says, all right, well, then it's going to be through my son, but it's going to be through this, this son through Hagar. He sat for 10 years with that expectation. He sat for 13 years with the next expectation. And by the way, 13 years is a significant number in, in Jewish culture because when a young man turns 13 years old, it's, he's coming into manhood. He's coming into his own. He has a bar mitzvah where his father puts him on his shoulders and says, this is my son, and he blesses him. Genesis 17, verse 1, Abraham was now 99 years old The Lord appeared to him and said to him, I am almighty God, walk before me and be blameless. I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abram Abram fell on his face and God talked with him and said, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be a father to many nations. We see it again. You shall no longer be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. I have made you a father of many nations. And then God said to Abraham, your wife Sarai, she shall no longer be called Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her. Let's just make this clear, Abraham. This is not coming through anybody else. I am going to bless Sarah, your wife, and give you a son by her. Stop your hooligagoning. Stick to your wife. Then I will bless her. She shall be a mother of nations. Kings and peoples shall be from her. That's verse 16. So 24 years since the original promise. 24 years. God re-promises it. And he clarifies it even further. Let's see this great man of faith's response to God after 24 years. Abraham fell on his face and laughed. And he said in his heart, listen to this, he said in his heart, in other words, I've heard it all before. You've been saying this for 23 years. I've heard this before. He said in his heart, shall a child be born to a man who's 100 years old? Shall Sarah, my wife, who is 99, heck, I don't want to be the one to break that to my wife. Woo, boy. 99 years old. Sweetheart. How about another one? I don't want to know what's going to come back at me. So that's Abram's response. Abraham fell on his face with laughter. In other words, this thing now had just become, come on. It's ridiculous now. What about Sarah? What do you think her response was? Well, in the next chapter, uh, God appears, it's the next year as well, God appears 
to, to Abraham at the, at the Terebinth trees in Mamre, which is a place, and he had a conversation with Abraham, and, and he cooks, Sarah cooks him a meal and all the rest, but I want to bring you in on this conversation. He, this is God talking to Abraham again. He says, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life, in, in other words, according to natural time, time period, and behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Now Sarah was listening in the tent door which was behind him. She was eavesdropping. They should actually call it Sarah dropping. It's not accurate. Abraham and Sarah were old and advanced in age, and Sarah passed the age of childbearing. So not only was she unable to have children, she was past the, she'd gone through menopause, folks. That's when the ladies say, menopause. And Sarah laughed within herself at the utter ridiculousness of this. She, she says, after I have grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord, also being old? What does she mean by that? To put it bluntly, folks, here's the PG rating. One no Viagra back in those days. This ain't going to happen. And the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh, saying, I shall, shall I surely bear a child when I am old? And then God asks this question. And it's a disarming question because it is so brutally blunt and honest. And he says this, is anything too hard for God? Because what's the honest answer? No. Nothing's too hard for God. Even that which is outside of natural probability. Even that which is outside natural expectation. Even that which seems impossible. Is that too hard for God? At the appointed time, he says, I will return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah shall receive a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I didn't laugh, for she was afraid. And he says, no, you did laugh. And so we see this journey of Abraham and Sarah. We see them laughing in the face of God. We see them getting the promise of God and getting to the point where, you know, ah, it's just clear. I've heard this all before. But I want to fast forward now, and I want to to look at what the New Testament says about these people. And I'm going to start with the book of Romans, talking about Abraham. And Romans chapter 4, verses 19 to 21, has this to say about him. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body. Already did, since he was about 100 years old, 99 at the time, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was able to perform. Does that sound like the story we just read? What about Sarah? Hebrews 11, 11. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who promised. What happened? The following year, Genesis 21, 1 to 5, the Lord visited Sarah as he had said. The Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age and set 
at, at the set time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son, uh, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, and God, as God commanded him. Now Abraham was 100 years when his son Isaac was born to him. Folks, we see here a journey of 25 years. 25 years of the same promise which remained unchanged. But something in the situation changed. You see, the Bible is not contradicting itself here. In in the narrative of the story, it shows us how Abraham and Sarah wrestled with these promises, how they laughed and how they considered the impossibility of all of this that happened. But yet, when looked back on, the Bible says that they didn't waver in faith, that they considered him faithful who promised. They didn't consider their own bodies. It seems like a contradiction. I want to tell you something, folks. Why Abraham and Sarah are the father and mother of our faith is because they successfully managed to transition from cliché to character. They wrestled with this promise. They struggled with this promise. But there came a day. I believe it was obviously sometime after that day when Sarah was caught out laughing. And God said to Abraham, is anything too hard for me? And I believe when those men left Abraham and they left Sarah, that question went around and around and around in his head. I believe he had sleepless nights. I mean, this is just pure my imagination. But something had to have shifted. Something had to have changed inside that man to go from the place where the Word of God became just a cliché into where it actually literally and physically changed and empowered him to do that which was well outside the bounds of probability or even possibility. Within that wrestling, Abraham and Sarah transitioned. Their faith found substance, and they saw the evidence in manifestation. I don't know what you are going through right now. I don't know what your challenge may be. Nor do I know what the promises are that God has breathed into your heart. But what I want to tell you is the wrestle that you are facing in the midst of all of that, the, the, the struggle of dealing with what seems probable likely and, and likely to happen versus the expectation that God has placed in your heart for good and for blessing, that wrestle is a normal thing. You're not weird. And it's not because you lack faith. And it's not because you're not good enough. It's because there's still a fight on. There is still resistance. And there's still a journey to travel. With Joseph, it was 17 years. With Abraham, it was 25. I don't know how long you've been walking, but just keep walking. Go home, pour yourself a glass of Johnny Black, and just keep walking. Maybe I shouldn't have said that from the pulpit. Thank you, Johnny, for helping me advertise your product and illustrate my message. Now, here's, the, here's, here's something I want to point out to you. Isaac is now born. He's now living with his father and his mother. He's the promise. He's the son of promise. And when he was, I forget the exact age, I think it was about 23 years old, God says to him, Abram, That son of promise, I want you to take him 
I want you to take him up to the mountain. I want you to build an altar. And I want you to sacrifice him to me. And I don't want to go into all the details of that moment. But I do want to say this. Abraham gets up. He takes his son and he takes two servants along with him with the donkeys. They get the wood, everything they need. And off they go on their journey. But there's something that Abraham says to his servants. He, he, he leaves them at the foot of this hill with the donkeys. He takes the wood that they need. He takes his son, and they make their journey. But there's something in what Abraham says to those two servants that came along with him that illustrate to us the depth to which Abraham's convictions had changed. Genesis 22, verse 5, Abraham says to the young men, Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship and we will come back to you. We will come back to you. Isn't that incredible? You see, Abraham now fully believed and fully trusted God through his miraculous experience with God that even if he was going to slay his son, God would raise him from the dead. God would cause a way to make it happen. He was now... God's promises now were so a part of who he was, his assurance in who God was, was now so established that he had completely transitioned from God's promises to him, being some kind of cliche that seems out there, to being a part of who he is and and, and what he did. The lad and I are coming back to you. I'm going to go slay him, but then we're coming back to you. Something had changed. Folks, there's a deeply personal journey that each one of us need to travel with God in receiving and working out His promises to us. It's a deeply personal journey. Because what God has promised to you looks different to the way God has promised that to me. You could say that there are promises of God that are for everybody. And you're right. Blessed you shall be in the city. Blessed you shall be in the field. Healing belongs to you. Blessing, prosperity. You can name all of those things. And they're generic. But you know what? It's going to look different for you as it is going to look for me. God didn't make that particular promise to every single man on earth. He made it to Abraham. And he said, in you all the nations will be blessed. There are certain callings that God has on your life. There are certain promises and giftings that God has given to you that are for you. And I don't know what your battle is right now. I know that many of us are struggling, especially in the climate around us. But there's a journey, and it's a personal that you are going to need to travel with God and stay the course and ask yourself the question, is anything too hard for God? Are His promises still yes and amen to me in my life, in my situation? Do I really believe that I can do all things through Christ? Do I really believe that I am more than a conqueror? Or is that just some kind of cliche that people like me throw out from the pulpit? This is the journey from cliche to character. It's the journey of our lives. It is the greatest adventure we could ever wish for. I want to read you two more scriptures in closing. Uh, It'll probably be three, but we're going to start with two. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 2 says this talking about the nation of Israel who had seen, who, who were people of promise. They were coming into the promised land. They were coming out of Egypt. They'd seen the mighty works of God. And it says of them, for indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith who heard it. Later down in the same chapter from verse 11, it says, so then we must be eager to experience this faith rest. The rest 
faith is the, is the faith where I have come to a place in my heart where I'm resting in the trust that I have in God that He is who He says He is and He's going to do what He promised me He will do in and, in and through my life. I'm not striving to make it happen with, with, with Hagar and I'm not trying to find a natural way to do supernatural things. I'm resting in His promises and trusting Him in the journey so that no one falls short by following the same pattern of doubt and unbelief. For we have the living Word of God, which is full of energy, like a two-mouthed sword. It will even penetrate to the very core of our being, soul and spirit, and where bone and marrow meet. It interprets and reveals the true thoughts and the secret motives of our hearts. You see, when the Word of God the promises of God, the very person of Jesus Christ becomes a part of who you are. It changes who you are. It changes your very character. But in order for that to happen, it takes a wrestle. Because I have to acknowledge my circumstances. I have to acknowledge my weaknesses, my limitations, and my trials. Whilst also acknowledging the picture that God's Word paints for me concerning all these things. I have to allow my heart to wrap itself around a different possibility. I have to allow my heart to embrace and be given completely over to a brand new expectation for good and for power and for grace and for the person of Jesus to show himself strong in the midst of my situation. Here's my final closing scripture one of the most classic, classic cliches there is in the Bible. Are you ready for it? James chapter 1. Count it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. Really? If there's a scripture that sounds like a cliche, it's that one. Why? Because you know that under pressure your faith life is forced into the open and it shows its true colors. The joy you're experiencing or the despondency you're experiencing is the true colors of where your faith is really at. So don't try and get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so that you become mature, well-developed, and not deficient in any way. New King James says, lacking nothing. Now, folks, this will mean that you are going to have to choose between your intellect and your experience and your probable outcomes versus what the Word of God says about you and has spoken over you. You are going to have to choose. You are going to have to allow God to define what the road ahead looks like for you. You are going to have to choose what it is that you will believe and your choice will make all the difference. I want you to know that no matter where you are, no matter how dark it may seem, no matter how discouraging it may seem, for Joseph down in the dungeon, for Abraham and his wife walking alone for many, many years, God's plans and purposes will come to pass if you stay the course. Continue to keep them in front of you. Continue to allow him to paint a picture of what your tomorrow will look like. Continue to trust him with all your heart. 
and you will see him come through mightily for you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, I want us to sing a song as we close tonight, today. It's a new song. It's a song you've never heard before. Or well, maybe you have. I, I, apparently, Siobhan says it's been around for years. I just woke up to it this week. That's okay. What I love about this song is it's, it's a song that says, All hail King Jesus. That's what got it for me. That's what really just stuck in my heart. You see, there was a time when, despite all the prophecies, despite God saying that he was going to be sending his messenger, there was a period of 400 years where God was silent. And then this man rocked up called Jesus who claimed to be the Messiah, who was supposed to be the fulfillment of every single promise that God had ever made to the nation of Israel, the Savior of the world, the mighty Deliverer, And this song journeys us through that moment where that mighty man, that deliverer, the very Son of God, hung on a cross for all the world defeated. But that was not the end of the story. And no matter what your circumstance looks like now, it's not the end of the story. As you continue to hail the name of Jesus, as we continue to look to him, let's trust him for his kingdom to manifest and show in our situation. Amen? So would you stand with me? We hope that you've enjoyed this message. For additional resources and more information, come and visit us at alphaomega.org.za.